Well, grace is a big focus, and um, <clears throat> the reason of it is because it is the impetus for what it means to be a community of hospitality. Did you know there's an entire industry centered around hospitality? In fact, there's, there's like five different sectors, and so I thought I'd share them. I was, ask, <laughs> I was asking people, and then I kept going, what? So I never hear the answer, so I'm just going to say them, but in your own spirit, you can maybe think of some of them. There's food and beverage industry, right? There's restaurants and catering, pubs, delis. There's the lodging industry, hotels, vacation rentals, bed and breakfast kinds of places, Recreation industry, which is amusement parks and campgrounds and theaters and zoos and museums. There's travel and tourism, and that's one of the largest sectors, and it centers around distance traveling. And then meeting and events industry, sports, uh, reunions, trade shows, conferences. A lot of this just is an industry that focuses on service and accommodation, hospitality. What a great vision of what that means. Have you ever experienced just an incredible experience of hospitality? Or, or known somebody who's really gifted with it? Isn't it incredible how it sets the experience apart? Even when I go into a commercial space, when hospitality is understood, it's amazing how attentive they are to me and what my needs are and how they can respond to that. And I, in the most genuine places, I, I don't wonder if they're doing that to get something from me. Because I get a sense they just have a pure joy in being hospitable to others. That's the bottom line. It's a beautiful thing. And when you meet people like that, it's incredible how well you feel about being in their presence and how transformative it is. And that's really what centers around the industry of service and accommodation, the industry of hospitality. I'd like to suggest there's another sector that precedes these. It's called the church. For it is to be the center of hospitality, what it means to be uh, engaging and offering service and accommodations and centered on the needs of the person they're caring for. One of the greatest agencies of hospitality industry was the early church. It was amazing just to, to look at this. And when you reflect on the Gospels and the New Testament and you see stories with Paul and Peter and entering communities and how they're welcomed as guests into people's homes and cared for and meals provided. Early on in the church, uh, the sense of hospitality became so important that when missionaries or people would travel, they didn't wonder what relative they'd stay at. They would go with the assurance that they'd just find the Christian community there and they knew that they'd be well-received and receive hospitality. What an incredible vision, a hub for missionaries and those who are traveling. And then the hospitality was, was known also, in particular, how it reached out to the strangers in the midst, how it cared for people. But you can understand, if this new message called the gospel, this place of the way, the Christian faith, was going to spread, it's got to have hospitality as the motive of which would guide it. It was new to everyone. And it had an impact because we can even read how when this faith was shared in particular ways, it had influences like even on um, Julian the Apostate who was a uh, Roman emperor in 361 to 363. And he referred to the Christian charity as a model. Um, but he wasn't always positive towards Christian faith. You can kind of hear that if I quote some of the things he said. 
Those impious Galileans, Christians, not only feed their own people, but ours also, walking them into their agape, they attract them as children are attracted with cakes. I'm attracted with cakes. He goes on to describe this practical hospitality, and he's kind of angered by it. What's the pagan priests neglect the poor? The hated Galileans devote themselves to works of charity and by a display of false compassion have established and given effect to their uh, errors, see their love feasts and their tables spread for the uh, indignant. Such practice is common among them and causes a contempt for our gods. The early church was known for its hospitality. What is the church of today known for? And how challenged are we to find a way to give voice to the message we've been given? Today we're going to take a look a little bit at what that hospitality means and just understand that it finds its beginning in God. We're going to take a look a little bit at... uh, Revelations, and in that book is an apocalyptic writing. Uh, John on the island of Patmos was um, uh, receiving a vision, and he was writing it down, and it had to do uh, initially with letters to certain churches. And so as he's writing this down, each of the seven churches is given instruction. Some have lost their first love as in Ephesus. Some are dealing with issues of persecution. Some with true or false prophecy. Um, Sardis was dealing with fragments of hope. And Laodicea was the focus today in chapter 3. was identified as a church. Now this was written to the angels of the church. Again, apocalyptic in its imagery. And he's writing to tell them that this church has become lukewarm. It's almost identifying all the challenges of human error and weaknesses and just saying, don't let this get in the way. Don't settle for less than God's intent for you as a community, as individuals. Even though we're identified in weakness and fallibility, we're reminded in Paul's writing that he says, my grace is sufficient for you. The power is made perfect in weakness. So I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. And the power of Christ may dwell in me. And is this in context that we get our message for today? And it comes again from Revelations. The third chapter deals with this letter to Laodicea. And we're looking at a particular text. And that is verse 20. Hear, or listen, I'm standing at the door knocking. And if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and eat with you and you with me. What a text of hospitality. For remember... This particular letter is writing to this church really to challenge it and identify its weaknesses and its frustration. The vision is looking at the church. You know, it's interesting um, that it talks about the, uh, the works um, have become uh, lukewarm, uh, neither hot nor cold. And if you remember this particular text, I was remember as a youth, is my favorite to, to read this, and I would say, and, and then Jesus would spit or throw up um, because... I would have you neither be lukewarm nor, or I'd rather you be hot or cold than lukewarm. 
Then he goes on to say, For you say, I am rich, and I have prospered, and I need nothing. Well, we never say that in the church or live that. So maybe there's a message for us. But this constant uh, articulation of a fault is, is, is tough because I don't know about you, but I learned um, that when I give uh, one example of a fault, I need to give at least three or four affirmations. But it isn't happening here. But we do get to the text today that tells us that even though in the midst of our challenges, even though we're struggling, even though we think we're wealthy, but the reality is we might find ourselves poor in spirit. The love of Christ, the hospitality of God reaches out to say, but here I am, I stand at the door and I knock. And anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with him and he with me. This call, this sense of, of being, it reflects kind of like the wisdom uh, readings and Proverbs that, that she would call out in the same way Jesus calls out to us, depicted at standing at the door, seeking entry to fellowship, an intimate connection. Now we contrast that with the letter that was sent to Philadelphia. In the letter to Philadelphia, the door was open. But in this, the door is closed, it, and it needs to be open because we're missing the grace and presence of God. Now, this particular text, it does reach to a community. Um, often when we see that imagery, and, and here's one uh, picture that you can see there, Revelations, where Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. We often t- think of it in terms of a personal uh, door, each individual. Um, but in another way, we have to see that Jesus is standing at the door of this uh, church in Laodicea. Maybe standing at our door and asking and reaching out to us and seeing if we might open it up. If anyone opened the door, he will come in and sup with him. It's terrible to think the possibilities of a church that would close the door uh, to the very presence of God and, and miss out on the mercy that's given to them. But this is a call. It's a passion that Jesus appeals to the entire church. An invitation, not only to the church of the time, but to our church today. An invitation to receive and open up. If we looked outside of our door, what's it look like? Are the weeds growing up? Is there a sense of estrangement? Is there distance? Are we missing something? Because this kind of radical hospitality that's demonstrated first in God is what should be the mark of who we are. But I think sometimes we see this idea of hospitality as, as more just, well, we're welcoming And it runs deeper in trying to make connections with people. It shows and demonstrates compassion. And when they experience it, they go, boy, they're accommodating me. They care about me. I'm safe here. So you might wonder if Jesus is knocking on the door, why is it that in this particular picture there's no handle on Jesus' side and that's just the nature of Jesus who never barges or pushes or forces? It's a demonstration of the need for us to be aware of the fact that we can listen for the voice, that we can hear the knocking and then our response is to open and be welcoming to it. Hear the voice, respond. The setting of radical hospitality is offered to us, 
not only individually, but also as a church. And the greatest demonstration is the sacrament of Holy Communion. Jesus places this invitation, sets the table, provides the meal, invites us to come. This is a, is a vision of what the kingdom of God is going to be like. And isn't it amazing that so often in Scripture we see this image of the kingdom of God as being like a banquet or a wedding reception. And those of us who have engaged in wedding receptions of our own or certainly as parents, we understand in that culture, they spent a lot of time preparing for those celebrations. It meant they had to save a lot of money. And those of us who have been involved in weddings understand that part of it. Because the celebration was to be welcoming and hospitable and invitational and allowed for people to connect and to, to be a part of the experience I love this image of the nature of God. It's celebration and, and wine and good food and, and laughter. That's the image that Jesus is offering us, the nature of the kingdom of God. The sense of hospitality is its very center. But I wonder sometimes if, if we've closed the door on that kind of grace and if people are missing that sense of hospitality from the church, that our sense of judgment takes more precedence over our offering compassion and grace. We all fall short, but you know what? Jesus still knocks on the door and seeks to come and dine and connect with us. In the Wesleyan tradition, we would call this provening grace, this grace that goes on before. Grace is synonymous with love or the Holy Spirit with Wesley. This provening work of God comes before it is constantly, just like Jesus at the door knocking and wooing and calling and connecting with us. Isn't it great to know every soul is being reached out to? It's not arbitrary. I can think of a time in my life when I was between 7th and 8th grade and I was in the church in Milton and I remember that the youth group was meeting at what was called a lay witness mission and we were hearing stories of people's faith and for the first time, I was a PK, I grew up in the church, I was connected with the church, but for some reason I was finding out that this relationship to God become more intimate and connected with me and more personal. And I wanted to say yes to that kind of God who accepted me and forgave me and guided me. And so on that night, I remember sitting on the side off the sanctuary. We met and we prayed and people were sharing uh, deep concerns and struggles. Some were committing their faith. And that's the time when I said, Lord, I want to make sure you know. I want to follow you. I want to give as much as I understand myself to as much as I understand of you and just begin there and find that deep connection. The youth group met, it must have been around 7 or 8 o'clock, and we prayed till 2 in the morning. What's that all about? It's scary when the Holy Spirit starts transforming your life, and you begin to realize that that hospitable God responds to our invitation. And then that commitment, that saying yes in the Western tradition would be justifying grace, and, and we begin to realize that we're made right because we accept it. I say, God, please lead me, guide me. So that justifying grace, then we think about transformed life. And, and we often see in sporting events, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, who believes him shall not perish but have eternal life. And it's a beautiful text. It's, it's written in the third uh, chapter of John as Nicodemus, who is an elite religious leader, not an unbeliever, 
a religious, elite religious leader, comes to Jesus and says, what do I got to do? And Jesus began to explain to him, hey, you got the religious stuff down, Nick, but you're missing the heart. You have to be born again, born from above is what the text says. Now, Billy Graham really made born again popular. In fact, it became sometimes a litmus test in the 70s and 80s of, um, well, tell me about your faith. Are you born again or are you United Methodist? And uh, well, I, I like to think both. Um, God's grace and mercy, right? But we forget that there's other stories of transformed life. Let's go to chapter 4 where Jesus meets the woman at the well. She's not an elite religious person. She's, she's a Samaritan woman low on the, on the totem pole of social order. And Jesus meets her and asks for water and and she said, I don't think you want to ask me to give you water if you know who I am. And she says, well, if you knew who I was, you would ask for the living water, which I offer to you, which bubbles up in eternal life. Didn't mention being born again. But do you see the trend, the transformative work, the hospitality, meeting people where they're at? What is our story today? How have we found the Spirit of God at work in us we can go to the road to Emmaus, the end of Luke, and it's a story of some individuals who have been following Jesus, but they'd lost heart. And all of a sudden, some stranger comes along, didn't recognize him, and it turns out it was Jesus. I'm so grateful for that story because I think a lot of times I'm missing it too. But isn't it great to know the hospitality of God reaches out to us even when we're not sure, even when we're lost and journeying along the way? Now the challenge is when we look at these opportunities, Sometimes we think that's the end of it. Okay, I've got my ticket to heaven. And we're missing the message. The hospitality leads us to a changed life and how we interact with others. And we think Jesus just came to get us to heaven. The reality is Jesus did more than that. Jesus came to get heaven to earth. The justice, the reign, the love of God be experienced in humanity. And so our faith has to grow and mature. I can look at how many times in my life that I've, I've had those moments of trusting and, and again and, and saying to God that I want to follow God. And, and uh, I, I can't imagine how many times I might have asked Jesus to step outside and I'd shut the door on him again. But the hospitality continues. How is it with your soul today? How are you growing and, and growing deep in your understanding of God and allowing your faith to express itself in love? Because that's the, the final act of grace is that sanctifying, that maturing that leads us to know how to love as God loves us. In a way, it's a, it's a beautiful imagery of how hospitality becomes radically experienced in community and shared with others. Bishop Robert Schneezy writes, the door we've been closing on God's grace has been shutting off what we need most. We're not in the religious thing on our own. And the invitation is to invite the presence of God in Christ to guide and strengthen us, to give us a vision of what it means to be perfected in love and caring for the world. That acceptance has to be at the center of who we are. So I'd ask you, how is it with your soul? The sacraments are such a beautiful time and opportunity, both baptism and holy sacrament of holy communion. And as we engage in community today, this is a great time to allow the beauty of the Spirit to be at work in this experience, to invite God, to ask God again, renew us, remind us that you are knocking on the door of our hearts constantly as individuals, but mostly as a church, that we find ourselves 
compassion and caring and radically hospitable to those around us. The excitement and opportunities that's coming down, the opportunities for us as a church. I pray that we can be open. What might God do if we commit ourselves to hospitality because God initiated it first? So as we prepare for communion, I'd invite you to renew that sense, to open the door to Christ in a powerful, meaningful way for you as you journey your faith, that this sacrament may be a time to renew that commitment. How is it with your soul this day? Let us pray. Holy God of grace and mercy, God who pursues us, thank you for a love. May it renew and encourage and transform us as we seek to journey authentically into your presence, learning what it means to follow you. As we prepare now for this sacrament, I pray that you renew in us a sense of your presence and our call to live in the celebration of your kingdom. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.